Support comes from the Norton Simon Museum, presenting the film series Testigo Witness, Goya in the Movies. Held on Fridays in May, each film touches upon Francisco de Goya's visions of the world, including Goya or the Hard Way to Enlightenment and the discreet charm of the bourgeoisie at NortonSimon.org. You have the chance to win a Spring Super Sweeps from Alleist. Donate $60 for one entry to win a brand new Lexus or $25,000 in cash. Check out all the other prizes, too, when you donate now at laist.com slash sweeps. LAist Studios. Just a heads up, this episode includes some heavy themes including sexual assault, substance use, suicide, and death. From LAS Studios, this is How to LA. I'm your host, Brian De Los Santos. And I'm Evan Jacoby, a producer on the show. This is part three of our multi-part series on mutual aid volunteers in Los Angeles. If you like your stories in the right order, you can find episodes one and two a little further down in our feed. We're asking three main questions in this series. First, what do mutual aid groups actually do for unhoused communities in LA? Second, if mutual aid is acting like a band-aid solution to cover service gaps in immediate term needs, where are these service gaps coming from? And what would it take for that band-aid solution to be less necessary? And third, What kinds of things can we all do to help our unhoused neighbors? Last week, we spoke to city leaders about their efforts to provide unhoused communities with things like clean water and showers or health and hygiene services. My office is really proud of the refreshed spots where folks can take a shower, fill up their jugs with fresh drinking water. We also heard from people experiencing homelessness and the volunteers who work with them about their experiences with these city services. It's a great asset to the homeless. But some of these people are like me. I don't do people, groups of people well. That mental thing can hold them back from many benefits. The common thread was that while steps are being made, there's a lot of basic, immediate-term needs that are still not being met by government agencies. I'm fortunate enough and blessed enough to have a fire hydrant. That's how I survive. When it comes to things like water or harm reduction supplies, or other basic things like batteries, clean socks, or spare tents, a lot of those needs tend to be covered by volunteers and mutual aid groups. Well, yeah, and I got two dogs, too. They save lives. And that's a big deal. That's really hard to say in like homeless communities. For the tens of thousands of Angelinos experiencing unsheltered homelessness, life can be extremely dangerous. And more than 2,000 unhoused people die every year across LA County. The mutual aid groups that go out and meet basic needs, I think that that's a wonderful thing. The role of the city needs to be helping people get off the street and into housing. Both the LA Council members we spoke to and the mayor all said their main efforts have been focused on temporary or interim housing. 
The idea being that it would be easier for unhoused people to access other services, like regular supply of water, if they can at least get off the streets. I think a motel room is better than somebody being in the street and possibly raped or killed. So today, we're continuing to explore the answer to our second question. What would it take for the mutual aid band-aid to be less necessary for unhoused people in Los Angeles? If the city's solution to cover service gaps is to build interim housing programs, what do those programs look like? And what are the experiences of the people who end up living there? Part three, betting on a motel. I walked in and literally that was the first time I felt safety and peace and a sense of this is the beginning of the rest of my life. This is a video shared by LA Mayor Karen Bass. That's Nono talking, one of the unhoused people we met back in episode one. When we spoke in August, she'd been living under the 405 freeway for several years. After we finished our reporting for that episode, the encampment where Nono lived got swept again. These sweeps, where everyone and their belongings are removed from the area, aren't uncommon. Usually, people move right back after the sidewalk is hosed down. But this time, the sidewalk was completely fenced off. It's still fenced off. And many of the residents got a voucher to move into different motels across the city. This was Mayor Bass's Inside Safe program in action. More on the specifics of that program in just a bit. For years, the people in this encampment were living in a state of limbo, relying on mutual aid groups to provide life or death services like Narcan, new tents, fresh water, all the while waiting on the city's promise of a longer term solution. This is finally the catapult that I've been waiting for, believing in, dreaming of, and it's, it's all because because of this project. In the video, Nono's sitting on the foot of her bed in her new motel room. She's wearing a bandana with Rastafari colors, and you could see a shark tooth necklace between the collar of her blouse. She looks happy, if a bit overwhelmed. We'll return to Nono's story and stories from other people living in temporary housing programs a little later in the episode. But before we get to those experiences, I want to take some time to talk about what these programs actually look like throughout the city. Interim housing comes in a lot of shapes and sizes, and programs offered by the city can vary in availability by council district. Inside Safe is the mayor's flagship program, and by far the largest. It's also the city's biggest response in terms of dollars spent. According to our analysis of data released by the city, these vouchers cost about $8,000 per unit per month, including additional costs like insurance. People are promised three meals per day, in addition to things like hygiene services and the overdose prevention resource, Narcan. The goal of the program is to offer a safer alternative to the street, while people wait for permanent housing. There's other city programs that share this goal, like the tiny home village concept. Communities of little houses with a stripped down eight by eight foot room and two small beds each. 
The largest of these villages is the Arroyo Seco Tiny Home Village near Highland Park in Council District 14. We spoke to Council Member Kevin De Leon, the representative for that district. They can have their own locked door for their own personal safety, their own HVAC system. So when it gets hot, they can put on the air conditioner. When it gets really, really cold, they can put on that heater. Three meals a day, access to bathrooms and showers. It hasn't worked for everyone. People can get kicked out if they don't follow rules like no drugs or alcohol inside the gate. There's a nightly curfew. Bathrooms are communal. Let me say this. It's not perfect. It's not meant to be the panacea. But it's one huge proactive step forward for those who've been suffering greatly. There's criticism that's abundant on tiny homes. Don't let the perfect in the way to good. There's 117 units in this tiny home village, and there's 10 more villages throughout the city. Of course, like we mentioned in episode two, the city is not the only player here. Los Angeles County is responsible for providing mental health services, as well as other public health resources. But they spend a lot of money and time on housing, too. Then there's LASA, the Los Angeles Homelessness Authority. It's a joint agency that sits between L.A. City and the county. When we spoke to Paul Rubenstein, LASA's Deputy Chief External Relations Officer, he told us about their role in all of this. A a big part of what LASA does is pass funds through to service providers, organizations that um, provide services on behalf of different levels of government. We take grants from the federal government, from the state government, from the city government, from the county government, and then we put those funds out to nonprofit groups that provide the bulk of the homeless services in our system. The outreach work, the work that helps people find apartments, the work that helps people stay in apartments. So there's a lot of housing programs being pushed forward by the city, some by the county, and some supported by funding from LASA. But let's actually think through some of these numbers here. With tens of thousands of Angelinos experiencing unsheltered homelessness, and with less than half of them currently having access to one of these temporary housing programs, it's easy to see why so many unhoused people still rely on mutual aid groups for services. Yeah, so Los Angeles only has a third of the shelter beds it needs for its homeless population. This is Councilmember Nithya Rahman, representative for Council District 4. I always compare to New York City, which through a court-mandated effort from the 80s, has had to have the number of shelter beds that it needed for its entire homeless population. So they actually have more unhoused people in New York than the county of Los Angeles, but only a couple of thousand out of that 80,000 or so who are living on the streets in New York. The reason why homelessness in Los Angeles looks the way that it does, the reason why we have so many tents, so many tarps, so many people in RVs here on our city streets is because we don't have those shelter beds. And as a result, we have the astounding statistic that more people succumb to extreme weather conditions on the streets of Los Angeles than they do in the city of New York. That is a policy outcome. That is a result of the fact that we have not invested in shelter in the way that we needed to here in L.A. Like we mentioned in episode two, 
Councilmember Rahman says focusing the city's efforts on those investments in shelter comes at the cost of providing other interim services. We had to choose between providing those services and organizing those efforts and trying to find money to pay for them and actually looking for housing for people where they could access those services, you know, in the context of a motel or a hotel room or a shelter site of some kind. So we know there isn't enough interim housing, but what about the people who do get into one of these programs? Well, for some people, it does seem like a good waiting room while they wait for permanent housing. But others have reported getting as few as one meal per day. Other people have had difficulty cooperating with no visitor rules while still getting the psychiatric care they need. To paraphrase the mayor, service access falls far short of what was promised. We've learned about a lot of obstacles, and we've been dealing with each obstacle that we learn. Mistakes are made along the way. We're learning about gaps and things that are woefully inadequate, like services. The other uh, gap is the whole process that takes too long to go from interim housing to permanent, which is why so few people have moved into permanent housing. That bottleneck the mayor is referring to might explain why the program has a fairly low retention rate. About one in six people choose to leave the program, according to reporting from LAist. One of the big things Mayor Bass has run into is the lack of long-term housing for people. This is Nick Gerda, LAist's unhoused communities reporter. She seemed to really expect that there would be a lot more available for people to transition from the motels and inside safe to this longer-term housing. But there's a bottleneck. Only a couple hundred people have been able to move on to permanent housing. And so the motels are largely full And that means there's much less capacity for people to move off the streets into the motels. And so she's running into this structural issue of a lack of uh, affordable housing options for people. I wish we had a much better situation. I don't think that moving people into motels, number one, is financially sustainable. I would like a much better system of interim housing. But I was not going to accept the idea that while we're doing this stuff, that people have to die on the street. I think a motel room is better than somebody being in the street and possibly raped or killed. Unhoused people get killed on the streets every single day. To me, that is an emergency and I'm gonna pull out all whatever in order to get people housed and not have them languish on the street. Mayor Bass acknowledges this program is far from perfect. Service access can be limited, and a bottleneck is preventing people from quickly moving from an inside safe motel into permanent housing. But apart from the program's challenges, the mayor's point is that it's a safer alternative to living unsheltered on the street. After a break, we go to an inside safe motel with mutual aid volunteers to understand what this program is actually like on an individual, personal level.
Support for LAist comes from the Norton Simon Museum, presenting the film series Testigo Witness, Goya in the Movies, held on select Fridays in May. Each film touches upon Spanish artist Francisco de Goya's visions of the world, including Goya or The Hard Way to Enlightenment by Conrad Wolf and The Discreet Charm of the Bourgeoisie by Luis Buñuel. Screenings are at 4.30 p.m. on consecutive Fridays, now through May 31st. More information at nortonsimon.org. Support for LAist comes from Pasadena Playhouse, presenting Jelly's Last Jam. When Jelly Roll Morton's soul is forced to face the music, the self-proclaimed inventor of jazz is left at the ultimate crossroads. This lively musical follows the journey from the back alleys of New Orleans to the sparkling stages of New York, featuring a sizzling bandstand, electrifying tap dancing, and soulful tunes. On stage for four weeks only, Jelly's Last Jam. Performances begin May 29th. Tickets available now at PasadenaPlayhouse.org. Welcome back to How to LA. So Inside Safe came to move people into interim shelter or motel rooms until permanent housing comes about. This is Dindi. Dindi Kitonga, I'm the founder of Puma, Palms and House Mutual Aid. Puma provides harm reduction resources like clean needles and Narcan to unhoused people in the Palms neighborhood. They also supply other things like food and tents. One of the encampments they used to visit was the one we featured in episode one, under the 405 freeway. But like we mentioned a little earlier, the area has since been cleared out and fenced off. Many of the people living there were given motel vouchers and relocated. I'll actually start by um, just saying rest in peace to one of our friends from that community who died in early November. Her name was Callie Rushton and she died after that sweep. It's not clear to us that she made it to a motel, but what we do know is um, she was having a serious episode on the street and whatever happened next, she had many health issues, um, is not clear to us. Kelly died alone and she had a community and that community doesn't exist anymore. What exists there is some kind of fence. Dindy says that one of the big challenges doing mutual aid work with people in these motels is the different motels. Communities can be broken up into different locations that are miles apart, and the enforcement of rules and availability of services can be different too. So what happened with our community is people ended up in three motels. One is off of the 90, so still far away if you consider if you don't have a car. And then a bunch of other people were moved to South L.A. You just have people with uh, very few services, loss of their community and what have you. Puma is still providing harm reduction supplies on Mondays. But now that people from that encampment are living in these different motels, they've had to change their distribution strategy. So far, they've been splitting their evening between two motels in Palms. At a quarter to six, outside a motel on Sepulveda, Dindi and some other volunteers are getting everything set up. Glass pipes, Narcan, toothbrushes, bottled water, burritos. It's their second stop of the evening. I'm here to talk to Nono again. 
Shortly after we met in August, she was given a voucher for a room at this motel. She's been living here for a few months now. One person's experience won't paint a complete picture of the Inside Safe program. There's dozens of motels across the city and thousands of people living inside of them. The Inside Safe motels are independent contractors and people's experiences can vary depending on the motel they're relocated to. But this evening at this motel, people in the Inside Safe program are getting the resources they need from volunteers on the sidewalk. We gave it a few weeks before we started coming around. What brought us is people are letting us know that they don't have adequate food, they don't have harm reduction services, they are um, reviving each other using the Narcan that they have, and also defying the rules of the motel which say that you cannot have visitors even if that visitor is your motel mate, meaning someone who lives next door to you. Is that particular to this motel? Um, Yes, this is particular to this particular site, this particular motel. Your family can't visit. You know, you can't have people that maybe your therapist. They're not felons. These are grown people. What are you trying to do, isolate them? As I'm waiting on the sidewalk for Nono, I meet a man who lives across the street from the motel in his tent near an entrance to Biona Creek. My name's Ivory. Ivory Michaels. Ivory is one of the people who's left inside safe. He's friends with a lot of the people living in this motel, including Nona. You know, there's Nona. Hi. I knocked on her door. I went like this to take a step over. She flipped out. Can't have any visitors. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm under so much stress because of the security situation over here. It's just ridiculous. They kicked my parents out. They kicked my parents out. What if they're all I had? Well, they are all, I don't even have them. And that was like the one time I seen them in ages and you know. Nono asked if we could stop recording. She said she's been so exhausted and stressed that she doesn't feel confident telling her story right now. But she told me she came into this program with really high hopes. In the video shared by Mayor Bass's office, she says she's excited to finally experience peace and safety. But so far, she hasn't had that experience yet. She says her doctor is concerned by her extreme weight loss, and she actually got beat up on the sidewalk in front of the motel as someone stole her bike and wallet. And she says that no visitors rule makes her feel like she doesn't have any autonomy over her life anymore. I asked Ivory how he felt about that. How do you not know it's not okay to say you can't have any visitors? What if these people commit suicide because you can't have any visitors and there's no one to talk to? The way rules are enforced in these interim housing programs has been a sore point for some of the people living there for a long time, dating back at least to the height of the pandemic when unhoused people were moved into hotels and motels to prevent the spread of COVID. And then, you know, like they say, you can only take two bags. That's their life. 
you're just gonna have to pack up your most sentimental values regardless if all of it's sentimental. We mentioned Ivory had been through Inside Safe before. Before he started living across the street from this motel, he had a room at a different Inside Safe location. But he says his voucher got revoked after an argument with management. They terminated my voucher because I asked for clean linens. And they only want to give you clean linens on alternate days. Just because I asked, they thought I was being aggressive. I mean, they just said, you know, I was, I was defiant. And you're right, I am defiant. I'm 53 years old. I shouldn't have limitations brought on me. You know, and it, it's, it's angersome. Presented with the options of living with those limitations or living in his tent, Ivory says he chose the tent. I'm happy to go back to the streets. Because I can be happy on the streets wherever, but you're not going to tell me what I'm going to do on a daily basis. If you're going to get these motel vouchers, get the motel vouchers, but don't give it with conditions. You can't have no visitors. See, they came to us, the unhoused. We didn't go to them. We weren't saying, hey, we'll do whatever it takes, you know what I mean? We'll sign whatever. There's this trope that when people refuse something, that they are service resistant. This is Dindi again. The way this is framed is it's as if proper outreach has been done, you've, you have relationships with people, things that people want are being offered. They're being offered that they're not far away or that they meet the goals and they don't. I understand that no one individual or no one program or no one approach is actually at the heart or the problem of what's going on here because the social problems really are poverty, gendered violence, uh, structural racism, gentrification. They are the big isms. So yes, I absolutely understand how and why the mayor is overwhelmed. They underestimated the scale and under-theorized what's going on here. Of course, a bunch of people want to be indoors. People want actual safety, want actual autonomy over their lives, want harm reduction and or treatment services, want many things that this solution doesn't offer. There are still a lot of unanswered questions here about what the right solutions are. We're not trying to answer every question regarding homelessness in this series. We're just trying to understand this very simple thing. What are these mutual aid volunteers providing for unhoused people throughout LA? And why is it so necessary? Local government agencies are doing some things to provide services to people. But those services don't match one-to-one with people's needs. You've got people like Nono, who seem pretty relieved at first to be in a motel after all this time living on the street. But then she's got these restrictions that are placed on her and all the stress that comes with that. You also have people who leave the Inside Safe program because it's either pulled them too far away from community or they don't have service access that they were hoping for. Right. And then you have programs like the Refresh Spot and Skid Row, 
where unhoused people in that area can come take a shower or fill up their water 24-7. But you still have people who don't or really, honestly, can't use that service because of different reasons. So even going back to what we said earlier in the series, that unhoused communities are not a monolith, people have different needs and need different resources. And so solutions are also going to be different for everybody as well. It reminds me of something Hawk said to us when we were in Skid Row. He's a veteran who relies on a fire hydrant for his water. Is it really a good solution if the people you're providing it to choose not to use it or aren't able to? If you're going to help somebody, find out what the problem is. Find out. If there's a medical problem, then try to get them some medical help. If there's a drug problem, get them some drug help. Or open up a damn place where they can. Don't let somebody have to push you into doing it because it's politics. Do it because that's what you want to do. In our last episode for the series, we finally come to our third question. What kinds of things can we all do to help unhoused people living in our communities? That's in episode four, Being a Better Neighbor. Special thanks to Nick Gerda, Elias Unhoused Communities reporter, for all of his guidance on this series. Special thanks also to Nono, Raylan, Dwight Joseph Gaines, Hawk, Kevin Call, and Ivory Michaels, who shared their experiences with us living unhoused in Los Angeles. My mom used to make me feed the homeless on Skid Row when I was 11 years old on Thanksgiving and uh, Christmas. I was scared to death to do that the first time. And I said, Mom, I'm hungry. Can I get something to eat? And I'm thinking she's going to take me to McDonald's. And she's like, no, you're going to eat this homeless food. But where am I going to sit? She's like, you see where other people are sitting? I'm sitting down, and I'm listening to these people. One was a, a, a lawyer. Now he's homeless. One was a mechanic. One was a mail carrier. You know, you don't judge a book unless you know the story. Hot Ole is hosted by me, Brian De Los Santos. Our series on mutual aid is produced by Evan Jacoby. Our other team members include Victoria Alejandro, Megan Botel, Monica Bushman, and Erica Washington. Our intern is Tony Morales. Production support from Jens Campbell. Our executive producer is Megan Larson. We had additional editorial support for this series from Catherine Mailhouse, our director of content development, and Sheena Naomi Krokmal the Vice President of Podcasts at LAS Studios. Support for this podcast is made possible by Gordon and Donna Crawford, who believe that quality journalism makes Los Angeles a better place to live. The LAS Spring Super Sweeps is happening now. You can win amazing prizes while supporting your source for local fact-based journalism. One lucky grand prize winner will get to choose a brand new Lexus or $25,000 in cash. Other prizes include an electric bike from Juice Bikes and $1,000 gas gift cards. Your donation of $60 gets you one entry to win. And the more you give, the more entries you get. Donate now at LAS.com sweeps.